If you were not here on Mother's Day, ladies, I want to let you know uh, we still have several copies of uh, Whispers of God's Love. It's a devotional for women, and uh, please pick up one of those if you weren't here. Or if you know um, a lady who could use a devotional and it could be a ministry to them, please pick one up and and take one. They're here to be used. They don't do any good sitting uh, in a stack, and we did give out most of them, but I know there's several still there. So I encourage you to pick up one of these uh, for yourself or some other uh, lady who could use the encouragement. Today I want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 39. And beginning in verse 20, we're going to read. Uh, we'll just read through the end of verse uh, of chapter 39 right now, but we'll later on in the message read some of the other verses out of chapter 40. Uh, well, where we're at it, we're we're in uh, uh, we're in this series on the life of Joseph. We're calling "Not Your Average Joe," and so just to remind us where we are, we where we saw Joseph last time. He was the the young favored son. He was the one who. All his brothers hated. They thought about killing him. They got away, found a way out of killing him by selling him into slavery. So they ship him off with these Ishmaelites uh, who were from Midian. And they were heading down on this trade route to Egypt. They get down there and they find this guy Potiphar who is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So very high ranking official. Basically he is the personal guard, the head of the personal guard for Pharaoh. And he becomes his master. He entered that house. God had his hand upon Joseph as he worked and uh, blessed everything. And all of a sudden, people started noticing, and and he kept getting bumped up and bumped up. And and Potiphar noticed, and he said, look, this guy is so good at what he does. Why do I need to bother with anything? And we talked about last week that the Bible even said he didn't know anything about the planning or scheduling of his whole enterprise other than what what he was going to eat that day. I mean, a menu was all he had to bother over because Joseph had everything under control. And everything was growing great except for the fact that Mrs. Potiphar uh, was not looking uh, at Joseph with the same type of appreciation that Mr. Potiphar was. uh, But she cast longing eyes toward him, the Bible says. And we talked about the temptation last week. We talked about the temptation and how Joseph handled it, how he fled. We also talked about that in our, in our current world, as we read through this, it, it reminds us of the, uh, stories of uh, sexual harassment and workplace harassment. And we, we understand that human nature, we may have different terms for things nowadays, but human nature is still the same. And so the Bible is relevant, even if it's a passage from 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. And so we, we learned how that whole deal got turned around on Joseph, though. Even though he was the victim, uh, Mrs. Potiphar makes claims against him and ends up with Potiphar being enraged. And that's kind of how we, we ended last time. Uh, other than to say, remember It's really all about God because through whatever that Joseph went through, whether it was in the pit, whether it was with Potiphar, God was always with him. And so this week we pick up in the the aftermath of that situation where Miss Potiphar has made this claim and all of a sudden he's not going to be the favored guy in Potiphar's house anymore. So I want to invite you right now to please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read uh, from verse 39, I mean, excuse me, chapter 39, verse 20, and we'll read until the end of the chapter. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison 
a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever they did there, it was in his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you again for uh, your word that has been recorded and passed down to us. God, we thank you for the life of Joseph and the example and the lessons we learn from it. And God, may we, as we uh, examine his time uh, in the jail, that we may understand uh, some things that are vital, not just history lessons from long ago, but are vitally relevant for us today and how we live for you. And God, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So Joseph's jail time, or Joseph in the jailhouse, as we look at it today, what happened? What really sticks out in Joseph's time in the big house? As he was sent on, falsely accused, and sent to prison, what happened? What do we learn? Well, basically, he gets there, and he's in jail, but God starts doing, really, just you could say continues doing the same thing that he had already done, and that is he blesses Joseph. Joseph becomes a, a, a trustee, you know, trustee, or he, he was one of those good prisoners that gets perks. <laughs> and before you know it, I mean, basically, it sounds like he's doing the prison warden's job, right? And the prison warden's out playing golf or something, and, and Joseph's running the whole place. And then uh, we see later on where he meets some other prisoners, and a baker and, and a butler, and, um, and he gets to talking to them. And, you know, Joseph, all, all, everything in his story seems to hinge around dreams, right? He begins dream, be a dreamer himself in the beginning. He's going to meet some guys with some dreams later on. There's going to be a dream from Pharaoh. But there's, uh, there's three things I want us to think about uh, this morning that have to do that we can learn from um, Joseph's time in prison. First of all, Joseph's uh, time in prison was a schooling. Joseph's time in prison was a schooling. A school of hard knocks, you might uh, say, and, and you'd be very well to say so. But I want you to think about if in Potiphar's house and all that he administrated, all that he dealt with, uh, that he had to control and supervise, if that was his bachelor's degree, then when he goes on to prison, this is his MBA, okay? This is his education. We look at these times of suffering in our lives, and we simply see the hardship, we see the grief, we see the strain, and, and, and that's just human nature. That's natural. We're, we're designed to feel uh, to sorrow and fear and all these kind of things. We, these things come to us. But you know, one thing that's so amazing about God is that he never wastes any of those things, right? He never wastes a moment of your pain. He never wastes a moment of your suffering. Whatever you're going through, God tells us that he's going to work it and he's going to bring some good out of it for those who love him. Doesn't mean every situation you go through is good. It means that God will take that terrible, awful, bad, no good situation, and he's such an amazing God that he'll bring some good out of it. Now, God had a plan for Joseph, 
a plan that he would rescue. And it was really not just a plan for Joseph. It was a plan that Joseph happened to be a part of, okay? It was a plan for his people to be preserved, to be saved, so that they might bless the nations. And ultimately, we know that blessing would, would uh, consummate in the Lord Jesus Christ coming and being the Messiah. But this plan, if they were not saved, if they were starved during the great famines that were come, Jesus wasn't ever coming because he wasn't ever going to be born. And so God's plan to bring the Messiah, he works through the nation of Israel, and he happens to work through this guy named Joseph. And what Joseph was going to have to do one day, sneak peek, spoiler alert, if I must say, but later on, he's going to have to be administrator over a whole nation. Now, how do you get to do that? How does, did the 17-year-old Joseph, who had a fancy coat, and he was real smart, and he could dream dreams, and everybody thought he was good-looking, uh, had a lot going for him, but do you think he could uh, sit second in command only to Pharaoh over the entire nation of Egypt and learn and know how to administrate all that? Absolutely not. God had a plan for him to be trained and to be educated for what was coming ahead. The other day, I had a, a, a young lady had, had said something to Denise, and she wanted Denise to say something to me, and she was talking about how some, some really rough patches in her life the other day um, that, that happened a while back, it just hit her. And, 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 and she said, you know, I think God might be wanting to use that bad stuff in my life to minister to some other people. And just between me and Denise, I said, duh. You know? <laughs> I said, but don't tell her I said that. that. It was a big epiphany for her. And it's a big epiphany for all of us, though, when, we, when we're not thinking about it, that the trash and the junk and the hardship and the grief in our life God is going to use those very things that we think are the worst in our life to bring out the very best of Jesus working through us, of the Holy Spirit working through us, using those experiences and hardships that we can reach out and we can minister to others. So, <clears throat> the first thing we see about Joseph, excuse me, about Joseph's uh, jail time is that it was a, a schooling of sorts for him. He, he got to work hard. You know, the Bible tells us to, to work, serve as unto the Lord. And he did that both for Potiphar and for the jail warden. He gave his all and God blessed it. So it was a schooling. Secondly, it was a time of learning sympathy for Joseph. You see, Joseph had it all before, right? Remember, he was the favored son. He had the coat. He had the looks, he had the intelligence, he had the supernatural gifts. I mean, he had it all. And I'm going to tell you, when everything goes right for you, when you've got it all, as much as you try to be a nice person, it's kind of hard to develop sympathy. But once you get knocked down a time or two by life, once maybe it's a health problem or a financial problem or a career problem, when that comes along and just kind of you know, gives you, slugs you, and sets you back, all of a sudden, you start to understand some sympathy for other people. I remember once upon a time in my life, kidney stones were a theoretical thing. You know, I thought, <laughs> a kidney stone, what? 
somebody's producing rocks. That's weird. What's wrong with them? You know, I didn't really have any sympathy. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you sympathy, Tim. And uh, he gave me that blessing of, of dealing with kidney stones. And, you know, I learned to sympathize. And when someone else said they were hurting, even though I could look at them and they look just fine and I don't see why they're acting all crazy, I learned, guess what, I'm going to take their word for it. Just like they have to take that this little bitty stone is killing me and I'm about to die, okay? So I'm going to sympathize with other people that have issues like that. And that's what hardship does for us. And and this is what happened with uh, Joseph uh, here in prison. He meets some other people that were down on their luck. I want to read, and you can stay seated this time, but um, let's just start with uh, chapter 40, verse 1, if we can put that back up on the screen. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined, And the captain of guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And listen to this right here. This is key. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And from there, a conversation begins about their dreams, and they tell him about their dreams, and he interprets their dreams, and these things come to pass. I'm not sure that 17-year-old Joseph, who had it all together, when he saw somebody who was sad, he like, what's his problem, you know? Why, why isn't he doing all that he should? Why, why doesn't he have an attitude of gratitude? Why, why isn't he, you know, in whatever silly surface level thoughts we might have when we start judging other people who seem to be not happy in their lives or seem to be struggling but Joseph by this point he'd experienced the real world brothers who wanted to kill him being sold into slavery being falsely accused being thrown into prison you know what He didn't just automatically assume that everybody in that jailhouse deserved to be there because they'd done bad things. Or even if they had, he didn't just automatically assume, well, they can just rot in jail for the rest of their life, you know, because they they did stuff and they deserve it and, and nobody should care about them anymore. You know, have you noticed how we have problems with, you know, people in need and we'll say, well, Well, they're in need, but there was nothing they could do about it, so we need to really help them. But other times we say, well, they're in need, but, you know, if they wouldn't have done such and such thing, they wouldn't be in this problem. And we get all judgy and think, well, maybe I shouldn't care about them or or listen to them. And that's not at all the way that the Lord calls us to be. Joseph had to go through rough times to develop sympathy. And guess what? (laughs) We need to develop sympathy. I've been through some people, I've been with some people who's had some very rough lives, and it hadn't done one thing for them. They didn't take that opportunity to learn to be sympathetic. They still are judging everybody else. And you're like, man, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Don't be like that. Be like Joseph and learn that, hey, we all face struggles. And maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge, and maybe I should learn to to sympathize and listen. The final thing I want us to think about um, 
Joseph not only the schooling and the sympathy, but last, the silence. The silence. Prison is a place where people are forgotten. It is so interesting to me how good we as Christians, including myself, are about looking at the Bible verses that kind of click with me and I like and I can see how I can easily do them or I like doing that kind of ministry. And so I do those things. But other stuff that just doesn't, yeah, that's not my gift. That's not my ministry. That doesn't click with me. We, we just ignore it sometimes. You know, the Bible is full of things. I mean, overwhelming Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout about how we are to treat and think and deal with people who are in prison. But when's the last time you heard a sermon about that? When's the last time I gave you a sermon about that? When's the last time you heard a preacher on TV talk about how we deal with people in prison? We forget. They're out of sight, out of mind. And Joseph understood exactly what this was about. The Bible says that he served the butler and the baker for a lengthy period of time. And then they learned to trust him and open up, and they told him the dreams. And, and he said, okay, here's how your dream's going to go, butler. And I won't go into all the details because I'll get them wrong. He had a strange, wacky dream. You can read it, look it up. But he basically said, okay, the meaning of your dream is... Um, Pharaoh's going to come back, and he's going to pull you out of this prison, and everything's going to be good once again. And so the baker said, oh, I like that interpretation. Tell me about my dream. And uh, Joseph, uh, you're just a little bit different. Uh, he's going to pull you out, but then he's going to put you bye-bye. You're, you're gone. Your life is being taken away. But Joseph told that butler, look, when you get back to Pharaoh, just like I've told you, when this happens... Remember me, tell him that I didn't do anything to get here. I know we all say it here in prison, but I really am innocent. I really didn't do it, and, and, and I've been wronged. And would you please remember? You know what the Bible says? That butler who was so happy and thankful to Joseph, and, oh, man, you interpreted my dream. You gave me hope, and, and, and I'm getting out. And, yeah, the Bible says he forgot about Joseph. He forgot. And that is almost the, the stereotypical story of people who are in prison. They become a forgotten people. And if you're saying, oh, Tim, come on, what, what is all this stuff? Is this, is this some kind of social stuff? Is this, what, what, what are you coming up? No, this is biblical stuff. I want you to understand God's attitude towards those in prison. Psalm 69.33 says, For the Lord hears the poor, and he does not despise prisoners. The average attitude of people toward inmates is despising them. And the psalmist said, but not God. He does not despise those who are in jail. And he doesn't happen to say whether they're innocent or guilty either way. God still loves those men and women every bit as much. The fact that they're behind bars does nothing to change his love. What about the prophet Isaiah? As he was foretelling who was the Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, he said this, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Listen, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And guess what? The first time Jesus sets, sets up to speak as a rabbi in a synagogue when he begins his public ministry, he opens up that passage of Scripture and he reads it to them. And he says, this day, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. This wasn't just Isaiah's thought of how, what the Messiah might be. Jesus said, yep, that's me. That guy that cares about those behind bars. In fact, he said a little something else about it we might want to pay attention to. Remember that time he started talking about sheep and goats? And we don't want to be the goat. Now, young people, you got to get this right. Jesus didn't mean greatest of all time when he said goat, okay? It didn't mean a good thing back then. The goat was the uh-uh. The sheep were the good ones. The goats were the no. And Jesus said, remember when he talked about that, about those people that he's going to welcome into his kingdom because they, you know, they gave him a cup of cold water and Hmm, what did, what did he say here? Oh, the last part of that, he said, I was in prison and you came to see me. He said, this is how I'm going to know that you really care, that you really love people the way that I have called you to love, that you're really following, that you're really uh, being a disciple of mine, is that you go into the scary old jailhouse or prison and you see the people who are forgotten and you love them and visit them, even in their chains, even behind bars. What about the Apostle Paul? Surely he didn't say anything about this. Well, yeah, he did too. Lots of stuff, in fact, about himself. Paul was in chains. In Colossians 4.18, he's ending his letter, that he's writing these letters from prison and sending them out, to, to minister to believers in the early church. And at the very end, because someone else would kind of do all the typing or the writing for him, but at the very end, he'd sign with his own hand. And it said, this salutation by my own hand, Paul. And then while he, everything else, he was fine with somebody else writing down for him. He says in his own hand, remember my chains. In other words, I love you, you love me. But don't just let that be a pie-in-the-sky love. Let that be a real love that you have not forgotten about me, that you have not put me into some other category just because I'm in jail or in prison. Finally, what about the other folks in the New Testament? Well, just one more. And again, these are many, many, many that we could go into. Hebrews 13.3 says this, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Do you get what he's saying? You're not supposed to just say, so-and-so in prison, oh, bless their heart. That's just sad. He says you are to think of them as if you were there with them as if you were chained next to them, if you were in jail, if you were eat, experiencing that isolation, if you were dealing with those dangerous conditions, if you were just 
crazy just to see somebody and know somebody remembered you. You put yourself in their shoes because guess what? You are them because the body of Christ is not divided by prison walls. They are the church, whether they're behind bars or not. This is one of those sermons that's been real convicting for me. I'm just going to tell you. Now, I could ask a question, and I'm not going to, but I could ask a question to ask how many Christians have even ever once been into a prison when you didn't have to go, and you just went to see somebody. And I have to guess that that would probably be tough for a lot of folks who couldn't even say they'd ever been once. I've been a few times, but am I doing what God wants me to do after I've studied this week? Absolutely not. God's spoken to me and said, Tim, you forget. You fail to remember far too often the people that are in chains. So I'm not just fussing at you. I'm telling you, pray for me because I need to do better in this. And I know there's a few of you who regularly go through Gideon's and a few of you who regularly uh, go and, and, and have these ministry retreats and where you work with prisoners, and those are awesome things. But it's not good enough for us to just say, well, yeah, we got that prison ministry thing because we got about four or five or six people in our church. Add a boy. You're doing good. Add a girl. That's great. I believe that God has called us. And for some, some of you, you may not be able for some reason to walk in to those walls, but maybe you can write a letter. Do not forget as Paul said, remember my chains. Joseph, his stuff taught us about the school of hard knocks, about how God uses the really tough stuff to prepare us for his future. And we learned about how that stuff also gives us sympathy. And then the really big point today is that we are not to forget. We're here on Memorial Day weekend. We've mentioned it. We've prayed about it. There's an insert in the bulletin. And we are trying to remind ourselves and everyone else that we cannot forget those who made a sacrifice for us. And that's something, that's not a religious thing, although for Christians it becomes one because we thank God for them. That's just a, a thing of, of national thankfulness. But what the Word is calling us to do today, just as we should not forget those who are gone. Guess what? All we can do is celebrate their memory because they're not on earth anymore. We can't do anything for them. But we can do something for a forgotten group of people. In the United States, I've read that we incarcerate more people than anybody else in the world. There is a giant mission field for those in prison. And God is calling us to remember those who are in chains. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. And Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I have to acknowledge my failure that I have often been like that butler. That I'm free and I'm happy and I'm forgetful about those who aren't. And God, I pray that 
if someone's going through a rough time here today, and not if, God, I know there's a lot of people who are, and I just don't know about all of them, but God, I know there's rough times, and I pray, God, that they would just cling to you so tightly and let you, let you produce good uh, out of that. And, and, Father, that they would learn sympathy and grace and more from it. And, God, most of all, help us to all to think about those who are forgotten. Perhaps they are shut-ins or homebound. Perhaps they are those serving far away in our military and can't be near. And we forget them. Whatever reasons, Father, but for those who are out of sight, may they not be out of mind. May we, in Christ's name, do ministry as you have called your sheep to do. Bless this time of invitation now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.